Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Monday, October 10th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. I've got some really good thoughts for you to chew on from this episode. You know, we all think that politics is our problem, and and maybe not all of us, but a lot of us think that politics are our problem, and some of us think that culture is our problem. I actually think our problem or the challenge that we have better than problem, the challenge that we have is in correctly seeing what's being done psychologically to us. And to that end, I'm going to share with you an experience I had in the last couple of days because I don't believe in accidents. I believe in synchronicity. I believe that things happen for a specific reason at a specific time and for a particular purpose, or maybe that is reason, same, same. Regardless, let me share with you what happened. Yesterday evening, I turned on Netflix and I was looking for something of interest to watch and I couldn't find anything. I had watched a lot of the things I enjoy, movies, etc. And then I saw a special on Scientology that I had never seen. I thought, okay, this might be interesting. I watched a couple of episodes. I think this woman's name is Leah Ramini. I think she might have been an actress. I'm not familiar with her or her work, but she and I believe her husband, and it may not even be her husband, I'm not sure, they do this series of episodes on Scientology because she spent many years in Scientology before she got out. And as you know, many people say it's a cult. And of course, Tom Cruise says it's not, but an awful lot of people say it's a cult. It's an oppressive cult. It's a brainwashing phenomenon that they use to control their members, etc. So in watching these couple of episodes, I was learning about not only the methodology that they use from several people who have escaped is the only word I can properly attribute to how they got out, whether they physically escaped or whether they psychologically escaped. It's an escape nonetheless. And in the process, they were talking about the whole. The whole is a, what do you call it? It's like a prison (laughs) at the main location of Scientology headquarters in California. And the whole, as described by Mike Rinder, who for a very long time was the formal spokesman for the Church of Scientology, Mike Rinder described the whole as a, it's a physical room, it's a very small space, more than a hundred people are crammed into it, they are exhausted, these people, from a day of cruel and unusual punishment of physical labor and psychological demeaning and abuse, etc., These people are trying to stake out a scrap of floor space to rest before the next round of punishments, whether they're physical or or psychological. Rinder went on to explain that everyone sleeps with only about six inches on either side of you, above you and below you. So if you get up in the middle of the night, you disturb everyone. 
Most of the people are resigned to lay on a hard floor without any blankets or pillows, and it makes sleep impossible anyway, despite their already exhausted mental and physical conditions. Now, here's the thing about the hole, and here's what its goal is. The first person in that crammed-in group of people who does something aggressive and violent to, in essence, either garner more space for themselves or they strike out out of sheer frustration or sleep deprivation or whatever, that person is then perceived as the strong one and the leader. And from then on, everyone else mimics that person's behavior. So the group gets pretty violent. This is the psychological deconstruction that these people go through. And David Miscavige, who is the head of the Church of Scientology, apparently is a brutal, demeaning, shame-inducing control freak, according to all these people who have left Scientology. I'm sharing all of this because of what's coming next. Today, my attention got drawn to an article on Medium about this concept of mass formation. Mass formation is not unrelated to topics I've talked about before, which is mass psychosis or psychological and emotional mass contagion. And as I said, I've spoken to these before on prior podcasts, but let me talk a bit about mass formation because I think it goes to the heart of what we're experiencing. And I also think there's a way out of this. Mass formation is known as mob or crowd psychology. The study of it is the study of how individuals are influenced by large groups of people, how their behavior is influenced by large groups of people. So this article on Medium talks about a Dr. Mateus, who's a Belgian professor of clinical psychology, by the way, as is Jordan Peterson, This Dr. Mateus, a professor of clinical psychology at Ghent University. He has a master's in statistics, and here's what he says. There are four conditions that have to be created in order to induce mass formation or this mass psychology where everyone behaves in a certain way. The first one is a lack of social bonding and isolation. The second one is experiencing life as meaningless or senseless. The third is free-floating anxiety. And the fourth is free-floating frustration and aggression. Matthias says, or Matthias says, I'm not sure how his name is pronounced, that when these four conditions are met, then any narrative that is distributed through the mass media that can identify an object of the anxiety and provide a strategy to deal with that object, mass formation or mass psychology can thrive because providing an object and a strategy to deal with that object gives the masses who are suffering from these four other stages that I mentioned, it gives them a sudden connection to what is perceived as a heroic struggle. And it meets their needs, it provides them with release, And it gives them sort of this perverse social bond and meaning that's been lacking from their lives. Now, if you think about everything I just said about mass formation, about the four stages, 
about finding an object for your anxiety and then a strategy for dealing with it, you can't help but realize what's been happening to us in this country. Maybe it's been happening in other countries too, but the only one I can speak to with certainty is this one. It is this survival mode that people go into to preserve this new social bond that's been created, this perverse social bond that creates sort of them fighting together to defeat the object of their collective anxiety and frustration. How ironic, how synchronistic, that last night I watched a show about the psychological manipulation that the Church of Scientology does and how it works. And then today, I wind up reading this article on Medium about Dr. Mattias. And then I thought about a recent podcast I did, probably two podcasts ago. And in it, I quoted a speech given by Michael Douglas, the actor, in the movie American President, when he is speaking out against his opponent, who is standing for everything that is not good for America. And I'm not going to replay this whole speech, but I am going to repeat for you just a couple of sentences in that speech because it goes to exactly this synchronistic encounter I've had with the Church of Scientology strategy and mass formation. Here's what Michael Douglas says in the movie, and as when I read it the first time I did it, I substituted only two words in that speech, and I substituted the name of his opponent, Michael Douglas's opponent running for the presidency, and instead of Bob Rumson, the name of the fictitious character in the movie, I substituted Joe Biden for Bob Rumson. Here is the key few sentences. Whatever your particular problem is, I promise you, Joe Biden doesn't give a damn about it. Joe Biden is interested in two things and two things only. He's interested in making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. End quote. Joe Biden's really big on giving us an object to project our frustrations and our anxiety and all of our concerns about where we are now. He's great at giving us that object and telling us what we need to do about it. The object is Vladimir Putin. I mentioned this in just my prior podcast. The object is OPEC. The object is MAGA. The object is parents at school board meetings. The object is white supremacy. The object is racism. The object is everything and anything that opposes the left agenda of that political party. But I don't believe it's just the left. I believe there are forces much larger than a small political faction in this country that are out to bring down the United States of America. And they are doing it through this psychological manipulation of the culture and of our perception of what is in our highest and best interest. Because by obeying that strategy of identifying an object and then telling you what to do about it, people go from a negative isolated state to a, again, perverse state of maximum connectedness that creates for them a mental and psychological and emotional, I would say, intoxication that makes people willing to go with anything 
even if it's immoral or illogical. Now, let me bring it all home. COVID. COVID was how they separated and isolated us. COVID was how they made us afraid. COVID was how they kept us in our homes. But COVID was just the physical manifestation of what they are doing to us psychologically and emotionally. Because the separation and the alienation that we were feeling and are still feeling, the tribalism, the us against them, is the physical manifestation of something that's happening spiritually. And that is our separation from a creator, from a source, from God. Our separation from that is the cause of our separation from one another. Why? Because God is one. God is unity. You know, in Judaism, the holiest prayer in Judaism is the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. What does it mean? It means God is one. That's all it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the Shema. There's only one God, and I'm not saying you should believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or that you need to believe in the God of Israel. I'm not saying any of that, or that you need to believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'm saying you need to believe in a spiritual power that is the source of all that is, that is pure, life-affirming love. You need to believe in that because there's only one of us. Not only is there only one God, there's only one of us. We're all just fragments of a unified field. But when they convince you that you're alone, that you should be frightened, that you're in a specific narrow group and everyone outside of that group is your enemy, like the psychology of Scientology, but also like the psychology of what's been happening here in the United States, fear and hate disconnect us. Fear leads to irrational and reactive behavior. That's the evil. The evil is fear and separation from oneness, whether it's the oneness of source or the oneness of each of us to one another. And you can't distinguish them because as above, so below is literally true. If you don't believe there's unity in the highest sphere, why in the world would you believe that we, as a reflection of that sphere, would be anything other than separate from one another if there's no ultimate unity, if there's no unity of absolutism? So on a spiritual plane, it's separation from creator, from God. On the material plane, it's separation from one another. What's the solution? Well, the solution is to have courage and love because courage and love connect people. Fear and separation do not. You have to come at it from the opposite energetic field. You have to deal with fear through courage and you have to deal with separation through love, which is connection, which is unity, which is oneness. You have to be fierce and loving at the same time. Fierce and loving at the same time. Now that sounds like, well, how do you do that? They, they almost sound like they're mutually inconsistent. I'm going to give you two examples of how it's done. 
One is taught in Kabbalah, in Jewish mysticism. And that's my reference point because I'm a Jew and that's where, you know, my brain goes first and foremost, not that I am not educated and um, respectful of all religions that teach love and oneness. But in Kabbalah, in Jewish mysticism, it's taught that you can yell at your children. You can seem really angry with your children. Your face can be stern. Your voice can be raised. As long as there's no anger in your heart when you do it. So in essence, you are exhibiting your sternness and your fierceness about whatever it is that you're trying to impress upon your child, but in your heart, you have to hold love for that child. Then the impact of the caution, the impact of the sanction, the impact of your emotional manifestation is extremely different than if you really are enraged. Because if you really are enraged, you're destructive. And if you hold love in your heart, it's what's called righteous anger. That's one example of how you remain fierce and loving at the same time. And another example will show you how being fierce and loving has a profound effect. About 15, 20 20 years ago now, I went to Taos, New Mexico to meet a friend of mine who lived at the time and still does in Santa Fe. We met at an Airbnb so we could spend a week together. We hadn't seen each other in a long time. And this particular friend is very into metaphysics and Eastern philosophies, and she practices Qigong, which is, if you don't know it, it is a physical and psychological and spiritual practice. And so in the morning when we would get up, she would get up probably before me, and she would go out to this little outdwelling at the Airbnb we were staying at. It was sort of like a permanent tent, or gazebo, I guess is a better word. And she would practice her Qigong. So one morning I got up and I was waiting and waiting and it seemed like she had been out there a long time. So I walked out toward the gazebo and I was going to say, are you ready to go to breakfast? And as I approached, but got no closer than I would say 20 to 25 feet, her back was to me and she was in a Qigong position and physical position. And obviously she was in a psychological position and a spiritual position as well. And she turned 45 degrees, her body, and then she turned her head all the way toward me. And when she looked at me, the fierceness in her eyes, I could only compare to an animal in the jungle that was seeing an approaching threat and was defending its territory. She didn't say a word to me. I simply turned around and went back in the house. When she later came in, I told her what happened. She said she had no recollection. She didn't even know I had come out because she was in an altered state of consciousness. But in that perception, in that level of consciousness, she was aware that something was approaching her. And at the moment, that something was an intrusion on the minimal amount of space she needed to, let's call it, survive in the moment, to stay in her physical, mental, and spiritual state of mind. Through that look, she communicated to me fierceness. But guess what? In her heart, she was in a cosmic state of love. She was practicing Qigong, and she was in a state of love. 
That's how you are fierce and loving at the same time. So I'm leaving you with this message. We have a solution to the mass psychosis, to the mass formation, to the manipulation of our consciousness, to what's being done to us culturally. If you're a Christian, it's probably no more complicated than love thy neighbor as thyself. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. There are probably lots of instructions in Christianity that would tell you what we have to do. In Judaism, it's the Shema. We have to fight fear and separation with courage and love so that we stand for what we believe in, we stand for what is right and true, we are courageous about those things, and we are fierce in our behavior, but we are loving in our hearts. That's the magic combination. And quite honestly, I have to thank the Church of Scientology and the website Medium (laughs) for bringing it all together for me in the last 24 hours and hopefully for giving you something really vital and powerful to think about. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again later in the week, and until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.